beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever wanted to see someone really, really badly? Some people pay a lot of money to go and watch their favorite sports star. Some will line up for days to get tickets to attend a concert where their favorite band is playing. Often, when the queen was making an appearance, thousands would line up to catch a glimpse of her. At times, there is a deep longing within us to see a loved one who's been away. At times, many of us would give almost anything to spend a day with a loved one no longer with us on this earth. Moses had a deep longing in his heart to see God. Our text tells of the time when Moses asked the Lord, please show me your glory. It's not like Moses did not have any previous encounters with God. The Lord appeared to him at the burning bush, which blazed with fire but was not consumed. On Mount Sinai, the Lord appeared to him in a dense cloud, which both showed his divine glory but also hid it. After Israel sinned by worshiping the golden calf, the Lord invited Moses and Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders of Israel to come up up on the mountain to meet with him. While Exodus 24 says that they saw God, the only thing Moses records about this is that they saw the pavement below his feet. Exodus 33 tells us about the fact that Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. It was called the tent of meeting, for this is where Moses met with God. Whenever Moses went inside the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Exodus says that the Lord would speak with Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. The phrase face to face does not mean that Moses could see God. For a few verses later, the Lord makes it clear that no one could see him and live. Rather, it indicates that God and his prophet enjoyed direct communication. There was a level of intimacy and fellowship that no human being had experienced since the Lord had banished Adam and Eve from paradise. So what is Moses asking for when he asks God, please show me your glory? What is this glory Moses is talking about? What more did Moses desire from God that he had not yet already received? What can we learn from this encounter between the Lord and his servant Moses? What does it teach us about God and about God's place in our lives? These are some of the questions that we hope to answer this morning. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Moses seeks to experience God's glory in his life and in the life of his people. We'll see how Moses asks God to show him his glory And how God reveals his goodness and grace to Moses. To properly understand our text, it's important to put it in its context. Moses had been on the mountain receiving revelation from God. 
Not only did he receive a copy of the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had previously spoken to the Israelites in an audible voice from the top of the mountain, the Lord also gave him detailed plans for the building of a tabernacle. The Lord intended to tabernacle among his people in the midst of the camp. His presence and glory would dwell among them. They would be allowed to share an intimate prayer and worship with the living God of heaven and earth. And while the Lord was talking with Moses on the mountain, the people of Israel sinned by making and worshiping the golden calf. When God saw that he was very angry, he suspended his plans to dwell among his people. It's a very understandable response from the Lord. The Lord had established a covenant with his people. Anytime you enter into an intimate relationship with someone else, you need to honor the other person in that relationship by keeping up your side of the agreement. Israel broke the first commandment by making the golden calf and the second commandment by worshiping it. In the first verses of Exodus 33, the Lord told Moses he would no longer go up with the Israelites on the way to the promised land. Instead, he would send an angel before him to drive out the Canaanite nations. The Lord explained to the Israelites that they were a stiff-necked people and that if he should go up with them, he might destroy them on the way. Thus, we see that the intimate bond of love between God and his people was threatened. If God did as he proposed, Israel would miss out on truly knowing the Lord, on living in close communion with him. Many people would have accepted God's proposal. He was offering them military success. His angel would go with them to drive out the Canaanite nations. God was offering them economic prosperity. They would inherit the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. They would get all the goodies without needing to live in a close relationship with God. They would receive power and wealth without the hard work of humbling themselves before God because of their sins, drawing near to him with the required sacrifices, or living their lives to his glory. But the Israelites knew enough about God that they realized how important it was that his presence went with them. They stripped themselves of their ornaments, which are commonly associated with the worship of idols. It was a sign of genuine repentance, They were truly distressed at the news. They humbled themselves before God. They wanted to be restored in their relationship with him. They did not want to be led on the way to the promised land by an angel. They wanted to walk with God. Moses wanted the same. Who would the people of Israel be without the Lord? And without his presence in their lives. How would Israel fare without the tabernacle in the midst of the camp. Where they could worship the Lord and pray to him. 
What would happen to them without the Lord's guidance and care? Would they truly prosper without God's ongoing blessing on them? So Moses approaches the tent of meeting. He approaches God in the tent of meeting. There's a tent that Moses had pitched outside the camp, far from the Israelites. There's a place where he met with God to speak with him. Moses intercedes for the people of Israel. He pleads for a restoration of God's favor, reminding God that this nation is your people. The Lord responds by stating, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God uses the singular you, referring to Moses, not to the people of Israel. Once again, Moses pleads for the people of Israel. He tells God, if you are not going with us, don't send us at all. He asks, for what will distinguish us from all the peoples of the earth but your presence among us? What Moses is conveying to the Lord is that he and the Israelites don't want power and wealth apart from him. What's most important to him and the Israelites is having the presence of God among them. Finally, God consents, and he says that he will do as Moses requested. It's at this point that Moses asks for one more thing. He asks, please show me your glory. The Hebrew word for glory means heavy or weighty. It sometimes refers to something that has value or significance or importance. Sometimes it's translated as riches or honor, for these things have weight, and they show importance or significance in our society. Moses is asking to see the splendor and radiance of God. He truly desires face-to-face contact with God, So it can be drawn into an even more intimate relationship with him. You know, beloved, we as human beings cannot live without glory. In each of our lives, we need the assurance that we matter. Some seek glory in their professional life. They want to be recognized as one of the best at what they do. Some seek glory in their artistic abilities or at being good in some sport or in being rich or powerful. The glory we're talking about is the glory of achieving, of excelling, of being the best. Some people look for a different kind of assurance that they matter. They're looking for love. They're looking for someone who misses them when they're not there, who cares about them. What's most important in their life is that they matter to someone. You know what happens when people say, I don't matter to anyone? Nothing I do makes a difference. No one loves me. No one knows I even exist. When you're feeling like that, your life is in danger. 
People who talk that way may even take their own life. Do you understand why? Because as human beings, we cannot live without glory. We need to know that we matter to someone. We need the reassurance that we're respected and loved. Moses understood that all the sources of glory in this life are fading. For us as human beings, glory does not last. Whether it be in our professional life, in our artistic or sporting abilities, or in the achievement of riches and honor, time and circumstance will soon cause our efforts and achievements to fade away. If your identity is based on your success, you're bound for a fall. If your life depends on mattering to another human being, on experiencing love from that person, what's going to happen when they don't love you as, they, as you feel they should? Nothing matters unless we have God's loving presence at the center of our lives. Moses asked the Lord, please show me your glory. He wanted to know God as he really is. There's times when we seek things from God. We seek God's grace because we know we need it. Without his mercy, we'd be condemned. We seek God's power because we need his strength to move forward in life. We seek God's wisdom because we're confused. We know his direction is crucial. <coughs> While looking to God for his grace and his strength and his wisdom is good, we're still seeking God for the things that he can give us. God is a means to an end. But Moses was seeking to know God as he really is. He wanted to experience God's glory and not just benefit from his usefulness. He sought to worship God for who he is and not just for what he could get out of him. Perhaps an example will help make this clear. Imagine that you're in love with someone and were recently engaged to be married. Yet your life circumstances change. You made some bad investments and now you're no longer wealthy. As a result, your sweetheart dumps you. How would you feel? Well, most people would feel violated. The person you loved didn't love you back for who you were. They just loved your money. You were a means to an end. Don't we often approach that God that way? We think that We've been living a decent life. We've been going to church and studying the Bible. We get frustrated because it seems like our prayers are not getting answered or because bad things are happening in my life. We're tempted to ditch God. We're not inclined to do the things that he expects from us. We feel betrayed because God doesn't live up to our expectations. But, beloved, the root problem is not with God. It's with us. We've been serving God for his goodies. 
not loving him for who he really is. What was Moses seeking when he asked God, please show me your glory? He was looking to encounter God as he really was. He wanted to experience what it meant that God was God. Moses had experienced God's glory at the burning bush and in the thundering and lightning and trumpet blasts that occurred from Mount Sinai when God gave the law. Together with the leaders of Israel, he went up on the mountain and saw God and enjoyed a meal of covenant fellowship with him. Moses spoke with God from the tent of meeting and God's glory was reflected on his face. Yet Moses recognized that he still only experienced a tiny bit of the glory of God. He wanted to know God and be known by him. He desired intimate communion with the Lord. He wanted God's personal presence in his life. He recognized it was only in God that the deepest longings of his soul could ever be fulfilled. He wanted to see the face of God looking on him in love. He wanted to know that he really mattered to God. He wanted the assurance of belonging to him. What Moses desired is what we should all desire from God. Brings us to our second point, and we'll see how God reveals his grace and his goodness to Moses. God's immediate response to Moses was, You cannot see my face, for no man can see my face and live. What God was telling Moses is that he could not see God's full glory, for if he did, he would die. Yet God promises to put him in the cleft of the rock and to cover Moses' face with his hand while his glory passes by. And that when he had passed by, Moses would be allowed to see his back. Thus God honors Moses' request, while at the same time protecting him from certain death. There's something else noteworthy about God's response to Moses. Moses asked, please show me your glory. The Lord responds, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Striking to see how the Lord actually reveals himself to Moses. Moses went up on the mountain God came down to him in a glorious cloud, a visible manifestation of the invisible God. Yet God did not reveal himself further in a form that Moses could see. Few people have ever been allowed to see the glory of God. To whatever extent people have ever seen God, they never say much about what they saw. Exodus 24 records a time when Moses and the leaders of Israel went up on the mountain, and it says that they saw the God of Israel. Yet in their description of what they see, we only read about how under God's feet there was, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. Perhaps upon encountering the glory of God, these men fell down on their faces in worship, and didn't see any more than the pavement below God's feet. If they saw more, nothing about it is revealed to us. 
The same applies when Ezekiel and the Apostle John had visions of what happened in heaven. We never get any physical descriptions of God. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks about being caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. He didn't know if he went up in the body or out of the body. Yet he speaks of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he received. But Paul tells us nothing more about them other than to say that he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. I think the point should be clear. As earthlings, we have nothing to compare God to. We don't have the words to describe his glory. God is so awesome, so majestic, so glorious. We don't have the language or the understanding to fully convey his glory to others. Exodus 34 verse 5 says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses on the mountain and that he proclaimed who he was. Moses did not physically see the glory of God with his eyes. Instead, God proclaimed his glory and goodness in words. God's revelation of himself is not by sight, but by speaking, so Moses could hear and understand his glorious works. Our text says that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. When the Lord proclaims his name, he's speaking about more than simply a title. God's name tells us something about him. The name Lord in the Hebrew is Yahweh. When the Lord first revealed himself to Moses by name at the burning bush, he said, I am who I am. It's God's covenant name, referring to his steadfast love and faithfulness. It was because the Lord remembered his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. The Lord goes on to describe who he is. Our text reveals some of God's attributes. It's one of the most important passages in the Bible. It is quoted dozens of times, especially in the Old Testament. It becomes part of Israel's confession of faith as it beautifully expresses God's goodness and His grace. It gives us an understanding of who God is so that we may draw near to him and live in intimate communion with him. Our text tells us about the heart of God. Moses' encounter with God was a profound experience, for through it he and the Israelites learned that they mattered to God. The Lord speaks about how he is Merciful and gracious. (coughs) Mercy is showing kindness to those who don't deserve it. It's being compassionate and showing empathy 
to those who deserve the opposite from us. Grace is a word closely related to mercy. To be gracious to someone is to bestow your favor on them. It means to bless them and give them good things, even though they don't deserve it. Remember that Israel had just sinned by worshiping the golden calf. God's mercy and grace are shown that he didn't immediately wipe out the people with a plague or cause the ground to swallow them up. The Lord continues his self-revelation by stating that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is patient with us. He is long-suffering towards us. Despite our sins and our rebellion against him, God doesn't blow up and lose his temper and punish us as we deserve to be punished. He gives time for us to repent, to turn back to him. He provides warnings and pleads with us to come back. He does so because of his deep love for us, because he's a God who is faithful to his promises. He knows that we are dust And he wants the best for us. The Lord makes clear that he is a forgiving God, but that he will by no means clear the guilty. He is perfectly just in requiring that punishment be made for our sins. And he's also perfectly loving in being willing to forgive us our sins. Some see a contradiction here. I cannot understand how God can be both perfectly merciful and perfectly just at the same time. But God declares that he is both. Note Moses' response to this wondrous revelation from God. Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and he worshipped The Lord had answered his prayer. Please show me your glory. No, it's true that Moses did not get to see God's face in visible form. But the Lord heard his prayer and made himself known to Moses in a very rich way. He revealed his heart to Moses. He helped Moses and the Israelites to see him as he really is. The Lord showed himself to be a God who delights in close communion with his people and who will do everything required to allow his people to live in intimate fellowship with him. Today we could say that Moses and the Israelites only got to see the back part of God. God has revealed himself in a much richer and fuller way to us. We see this in what happened when God sent his son into this world. John described Christ's coming in a unique way. He says that Jesus Christ became flesh and he tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John makes clear is that just as God revealed his glory to Israel through Moses, so he did so again in a much richer and fuller way through his son, 
Jesus Christ. God gave glimpses of his glory in the ministry of Christ when Jesus performed miraculous signs and wonders. Peter, James, and John were given a fuller revelation of God's glory when Christ was transfigured before them on the mountain in the presence of Moses and Elijah. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as snow. But the point of the transfiguration was to make clear Christ's ministry, that Jesus was God's beloved Son, with whom he was well pleased, and that the disciples were to listen to him. Do you know what followed? Jesus had to walk the pathway of suffering. He was despised and rejected by his own people. He was falsely accused and wrongly convicted. He was sentenced to die an accursed death on the cross. Do you understand why this was necessary? It was the way in which the Lord showed that he was merciful and gracious. It was the only way in which God could fulfill his pledge, that he was perfectly merciful and at the same time a perfectly just God. For it's at the cross that God poured out his wrath against our sins on his beloved Son so that we could experience his grace and be forgiven for all the ways in which we have offended him. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was asking, Why are you ignoring me? Why are you turning your face away from me? On the cross, Jesus experienced the nightmare of every human being that he didn't matter to God. God turned his face away from him. Jesus no longer experienced even a tiny bit of God's love. Jesus got what we all deserved. He experienced hellish agony. Do you know why? It's so that we would matter eternally. So that we could share in God's abundant love. So that we could belong to him. It's only when you look into the gospel of Jesus Christ that you see the goodness of God. His glory. His beauty. In Christ, God looks at us and he says, I love you. You matter to me. I've claimed you as my own. And you now belong to me. Right now, beloved, we see the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. That transforms our lives. It brings humility and thankfulness and confidence. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And yet, the best is still to come. John writes in 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We are going to experience exactly what Moses sought when he said to God, show me your glory. On the final day, we will see God face to face. The restrictions, the limitations there are because of sin will be taken away. We will behold the beauty of the Lord. We'll dwell in his presence forevermore. We'll live in intimate communion with the Lord and his people for all of eternity. We'll experience the joy and the glory that the Lord has promised to all those who love him. Amen. Let's rise and sing our praises with the words of hymn 7. Glory be to God the Father, 